Shalom! Happy early Hanukkah! Welcome into another amazing episode of Designated Chatter, yet again alongside me as well. It's been alongside me for years and years and years, what it seemed like. Ethan Octon, thank you so much for joining us. Introduce everybody to the legend that is about to come onto our show. All right. So, Jacob, thank you for having me on again. And yes, it does feel like years and years, doesn't it? But it's only since January 21. Things have things have really, uh, you know, blew by, actually, with this podcast. And yes, maybe it has felt like years and years, but we've had nothing but great guests. And speaking of great guests, today, a, man, a legendary, legendary man. It's losing words, aren't you? Exactly, yeah. Yeah, you just, you can't get any better. World Series champion of 97 with the Florida Marlins. Um, with three, three managers of the year, and he was the um, winner of the World Baseball Classic. Um, he coached the, you know, no, he managed the 2017 team, Jim Leland. What do we think about Jim Leland coming on today, Jacob? Jim Leland, I'll tell you, um, you listened in on the conversation. I kind of developed you as it all went down. I was working down at the Mud Hen Stadium, and I saw. Jim Leland sitting in the stands, and I was like, hey, can't hurt to just say hello. And obviously, as people as big as he are, he is, you never really know what a person is, who, like, their personality is until you say hi. And just from the beginning, the man is so humble, so kind. He every, Baseball gave him everything, and I think he understands that. And he loves – he – I feel like he kind of owes baseball everything which is kind of what I feel like he kind of let us get some of that amazing knowledge that he took in throughout his career. So, yes, Jim Leland, very successful, extremely knowledgeable, uh, one of the greatest managers to ever step foot in a dugout in uh, MLB uniform. So, yes, everyone needs to stay tuned for this upcoming interview. Very short and simple answers, as it should be, because what what else is an MLB manager known for than giving short and simple answers, especially right down to the point. And that's what, you know, we find a lot of the managers that we bring on this podcast, you know, with Jim Leland now and even other Tigers manager, Lloyd McLennan. Mm -hmm. You find a lot of similarities in these managers. They're short and they're sweet. He can say four words and they'll mean eternity to you. It's exactly. insane. And ladies and gentlemen, you are in for a great podcast. But first, before Jim Leland, how about some baseball? How about some Olympic baseball? Yes. Let me know. Olympic baseball. As Ethan mentioned, and as we're going to mention the entire interview with Jim Leland, he managed the 2017 Team USA to their first ever World Baseball Classic title. And he was the first ever manager to win a World Series and World Baseball Classic title. That brings us, well, we're going to segue here into the 2021 Olympics, should be 2020 Olympics. There has been a little bit of argument here with the World Baseball Classic played a little bit earlier than the Olympics, knowing the schedule of the MLB kind of runs into spring training. I believe personally, I mean, the Olympics is one of the, a lot of people consider it an honor to even be considered in the conversation. I've seen uh, face Twitter posts, Instagram posts, Todd Frazier. I follow Instagram 
said it was the honor of a lifetime to even be wearing a Team USA uniform. In my opinion, I think the best of the best should be at the Olympics. The best of the best. And unfortunately, you have the Olympics going on at the same exact time in the middle of a very heated MLB season. And in my opinion, the best of the best should be there. I, I, and it's only two weeks. I don't think it would be an issue. For it's, it's, it's also once every four years for the MLB to take a exactly. break for two years to let the best of the best compete for a world title. This is not just any pedestrian title. This is the Olympics. And I mean, I want to, I want, what do you, what do you think? I mean, I think it should well, be, everyone should be out there. Besides not even looking at just baseball. If you look at all the Olympic sports out there, you know, people dream all, if you are a athlete, you, your number one dream is to, you know, play for your country in the Olympics. And like you said, I agree. It should be the best of the best out there. I want to see the top-notch guys go against the other top-notch guys. And yes, I mean, thankful God, Team USA, they, they, have a, they have a decent team. They have a stacked team. Now, where, where are those all-star players at, right? Where's Mike Trout at? Yes, he's he injured, but for and say, where's Mike Trout at? Hey, where's Staten at? You know, where's Sho- Shohei Otani at? You know, these are, you know, star players. And yes, I think a two-week break for once every four years can probably be salvageable. I think, yes, we do play 162 games, and it is a very long season, one of the longest seasons in sports history, but this is the Olympics we're talking about. These are these kids' dreams to go up and be on that field or on that court or wherever sport they play. Yes, and that's not to say that whoever was representing Team USA didn't deserve it. They ended up bringing in Olympic silver. They lost to Japan twice throughout the tournament. I mean, any medal in the Olympics is something to be grateful for. And they were able to make it to the championship game, lost 2 nothing to Japan in a very close matchup. And it, it kind of, in another perspective as well, if you're allowing the best in, across the entire world to prepare and play, it kind of, you think if, say the Dominican Republic and the Team USA faces off in the, in the championship game. They come back, and they're on a high of playing in one of the best tournaments of all time in the Olympic Games. That kind of boosts confidence levels. That kind of boosts playing level. You, you say uh, Mike Trout comes off winning a, a gold medal. He'll come back and go off for an MVP season. Not the same, and that's just – a name Mike Trout doesn't need the Olympics to do that, but viewership as well. You have the best of the best. Everyone knows who's playing in the Olympic Games. Everyone's gonna yes, watch. No, no questions. No, like, oh, who's that guy? Exactly. It's you know the best of the best from each country that compete. And I think if we had that mentality of the best of the best facing the best of the best, I feel like the Olympics would be ten times more enjoyable to watch. Not saying they aren't already, but when you see these guys that you know and you've watched them before. And they're battling each other now. That's crazy. That's insane game or whatever thing you're watching that you want to tune into. You know these guys now. When you're watching people and you're like, eh, yeah, yeah, I know the first baseman and yeah, I, I know the left fielder, but everyone else I don't know. That's not as fun. You know, you you like seeing the people that you know play. Oh, it, it didn't. It also didn't really help that there were no fans in the stands. It, it's also that, it's that a, was a big moment coming off a of COVID year. 
and it's very tough to make anything out of it. But the Olympic Committee, I mean, with the protocols, they, they ended up, you know, making a very successful Olympic campaign, and it did go off without a hitch. And it was, it, it was honestly, I didn't pay much attention to it. I did pay attention to the baseball side of things. But at the end of, at the ends of the line, I, as, long, as well as I believe everyone else out there, wants to see the best of the best of the Olympics, as it should be. Because it's considered the best of the best. And now, here's the thing with this, though. Like, I get we want to break for this. But, yes, that is two weeks. And I agree that we should break for those two weeks for these Olympics. But, like, again, with the MLB having the biggest schedule, and we're an outdoor sport. So, there are postponements and in inclement weather that, you know, prolong the season, even though that we have already a set schedule. So, to, you know, to take two weeks out of that already tough schedule – and to, you know, add more two weeks on to the end of the season, do you see a problem weather-wise and player-wise? Again, it is a every four-year achievement. I don't think the players would care if, say, the if the MLB were to say we are going to take a two-week break and allow everyone to play for their countries, you would see everyone jumping at the, uh, the opportunity. Oh, and yeah. we'll be chomping no. at the bit. And I think it could be an extended all-star break. Maybe move the all-star game or to be played right before the beginning of the Olympics. And you give that chance to all the players. I don't think that's a problem. That, that will not – inclement weather, the long season, every four years. It's not saying they have to go play for their team. It's giving them the opportunity to. I feel like a lot of players kind of felt cut off when it came to this opportunity because they were in the middle of their season, they're making millions of dollars. They kind of feel obligated to make that money, which should be because you're making the big bucks. So most of these teams, most of these players had to leave or ask for, I mean, to be put on a designated assignment, designated for assignment to even play because they couldn't be on, you know, terms with actual. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I see. I see, I see both sides of the, you know, the story here, and I get it. I get both sides. Yes, I think that maybe we could break because that would make the Olympics ten times more valuable to see all these, you know, big time players come in, and I think you'll get twice as much as viewers that you already have. Um, but I do have a question for you, Jacob. So I know you said you were thinking about maybe moving that into the All Star break. Do you think though that with moving um, the Olympics to with the all-star break. Do you think that takes away from those top-notch players in that all-star game? Uh, all-star game, it, really, it really doesn't have a point to it. It's kind of more of a title now. So at the same time, you have players who might even take a break and go straight to preparation for the Olympics because the all-star game really, it's all, it's all records at the end of the year. So do we have an all-star game then? No, no, we definitely do have an all-star game. You, you still you still have an all-star committee. But, again, you're giving them the opportunity to go play in the Olympics. You're still going to have an all-star game. Not every single person is going to go over there because, again, they're taking two weeks away from their family as well. Mm-hmm. The all-star break is a great way to go live with their family and spend time with their family and also spend time with the best players across the MLB. Again, it's an opportunity I think a lot of players would like to take. And I, I think they should give that opportunity 
to those players because to be an Olympian is a title like no other. And Jim um, spoke on it. It was to be able to wear Team USA across his chest was something that he said was one of the greatest moments of his career. And you saw the World Baseball Classic title. I believe the championship game when they played Puerto Rico was one of the highest viewed games in the 2020 season. I mean, the 2017 season. It was one of the highest viewed sporting events that year. So that lets you know when the best of the best are playing, they had Javi Baez, Francisco Lindor, Seth Lugo was pitching for that team. And Manny Machado, every all the big names. So it's yeah. like, it kind of speaks towards it because everyone knows. Everyone knows. Yeah. And it is. It's a battle, man. It is. It's a battle that's happening right now in the baseball world. And I, I can't do nothing more but agree with you, Jacob. I think that it's a good idea. And what I really think is I want to hear the players' feedback on this. I want a reporter to ask the players, what would you think of, you know, having a break for the Olympics every four years? And being able to play. I bet you every player would scream, hell yes. Yeah. And it might not I know be, I would. It might not be every player. But at the same time, to be, the, the chance to be an Olympian, every single player in the MLB right now has a chance to be an Olympian. It's, it's, it's all about the opportunity. And I feel like the MLB wouldn't mind giving them the opportunity because I don't think they would – I think they love the opportunity to give these players a chance to be Olympic medalists, let alone Olympian. So – and you're talking about the best of the best. Speaking yeah. of the best of the best, you have the best of the best in the previous very hostile series. We're going to speak a couple of hot takes here. Dodgers, one of the best teams in the NL and fighting for an NL division championship, um, division title, sorry, faced the Houston Astros, former Dean Cheaters, um, in a two-game series. And I'll just say... It kind of hurt myself to be a baseball fan watching the Dodgers completely bash on the Astros fans for supporting their teams. Yes, I understand they cheated as a baseball player. That sucks. It takes away from everything you learned and knew about the game. But at the same time, there is sportsmanship and there are also crimes and laws you need to abide by as a common sense person. You don't throw beer at people and go ahead and start whamming punches just because they cheated. There's, there's a, baseball comes with a kind of respect and there's a fine line and it pisses me off when you take and run what you, they cheated. Yes. And they know that. And they live with that. The trash can, uh, the blowing up the trash can, like you said, there's nothing wrong with that because everyone, you know, they, 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 they understand what they're living with, but at the same it's time, a it's a joke. You know? Yes. And it, you don't have to go out there and make their lives miserable because th their lives are already miserable. And I, I feel like it is a crime for an Astros fan to walk around with a hat on because they don't feel safe because that's just how it is now. That's how fans have made it. And it, it's happened in the past before. Joey Votto has come out and said all players and, and teams at some point during that season cheated. So... Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a, a series that and you had people all over social media bashing Dodgers fans for the way they treated Astros fans. But at the same time, can you tell me whether or not you expected that? Um, well, I'm going to start off like this as a baseball fan and a fan of all 30 MLB teams, cheaters or not. I am very disappointed how all I'm not just going to say one singular team. 
how all 30 MLB teams fans have been reacting to not just between the Astros, but there's been other events too. Now, this thing that's happening with the Astros, yes, um, with you, oh, it pisses me off. Yes, it does, because you look, and like you said, the Dodgers and the Astros, this poor man was trying to walk out of the stadium. He was having food and drinks and beer thrown all over him, and he had to have one of the Dodgers security people walk him out. That is sad to see. Your team, the Astros team, cheated. The Astros team cheated, not the fan. The fan did not cheat. Let's make that very clear. The fan did not cheat. The Astros cheated. And, yes, they know they cheated. And, yes, those players, they've been through a living hell. And, yes, the fans of the MLB have made them live through a living hell. And I think it's about time that, you know, it starts to die down. Because now you're, you know, you're creating these, you know, mentality for this team. And, they're, yes, this may give them motivation. to like, But you don't want to this, – this isn't fun anymore. You know, why would you want to go out and play in front of crowds just so you can get booed and thrown stuff at? And here, here's the stance, I believe. Here's the predicament I think we lie in as a society now. Is it's, we live in a society nowadays where it's kind of hard to live out the past. And when you're talking about the Houston Astros, unfortunately, in my opinion, it's going to take them years and years and years. You still have people who talk about the 1919 uh, Black Sox when they cheated, you know, shoeless Joe Jackson and all those gambling and, and uh, Pete Rose still cannot live his gambling past. Unfortunately, this is going to be attached to all the players on the, on the Astros roster, but at the same time, you cannot take that away from the kind of players they are presently. And they're clean, at least from what it seems from, from the outside. Yes. It still pisses me off, leaves me you know, a really empty feeling in my stomach, to kind of go back to that cheating in you know, the 2017 World Series because at the same time, again, takes away from everything you know and learn about the game. You know, you play it the right way, not the cheating way. And it, it's all just uh, – it doesn't have to be a game when it comes to learning respect and you know, being a true fan of the game. And, and it, it hurts. It hurt the entire time to sit there and just watch, just constantly go at it with Astros fans because it's just not right. And you agree. You agree. It's not right. And I, you know, and yes, I may get backlash for this. Um, but yeah, some of these players I feel so bad for, because guess what? Some of these players weren't on that cheating team and some of these players are still getting hated on. And it said, and even the players that were on this team, I don't think even their one singular voice was going to be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't cheat this year. It was going to stop anyone from anyone doing anything. One thing I did realize, too, is just I did realize there was a fan that called over Alex Bregman. I think he was on the on-deck circle. I saw, yep. And he said, hey, come over here get a picture. So Alex walks over for a picture and he says, I don't take, I don't want to take a picture. Get lost, loser, something, and they bum. And Alex just went over the next guy and just looked at me, put his head down, like, that, for me, I looked at Bregman, I was like, that is the most painful thing that I think I've ever watched. Mm-hmm. You play for the fans, and for you to come over to fan, and they just, I'm going to say it, shit talk you? Mm-hmm. That is absolutely messed up. That is so messed up, and I feel bad for these players, and I hope, I like, again, I, I know that this is not going to go away anytime soon. But also, for fans out there, realize your team probably cheated too. They may not have caught it, but your team probably cheated too. So that's what I have to say on it. I'm not going to get too heated about it. 
I just feel like it's it's something that needs to be taken action immediately, uh, especially with Astros fans. I feel like they're scared to go to any of their games anymore. And you know, it, it's all visiting down. It all comes down to the fans. Unfortunately, the players can say all they want. It all comes down to the fans. And that's that's really all you can leave it at. And that's kind of, I guess, where we leave it at as let's just let's forget about what that I think as Dodgers fans should try and forget because that just, just does not in all honest makes them look worse than Yankee fans. And it doesn't get much worse than Yankees fans remembering back to Alex Verdugo. Remembering back to Alex Verdugo getting a baseball thrown at him oh, during a game. Was... A different conversation. But but that's it why is, I said it's not just the Astros. It's all 30 MLB teams, exactly. their fan bases I am pissed with is because, like you just said, the whole Verdugo thing, who does that? Who in their right mind would do that? God, that made me so bad. Yeah. Oh, I know it made Verdugo mad. I <laughs> I don't know if uh, you listened in live, but there was a few words exchanged between oh, Verdugo. No. And <laughs> Understandable. 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 Completely understandable because you're just trying to play the game the right way the way you've been paying to do. It's a job. So um, we'll leave it there. We'll leave it there, baby. We'll leave it there, baby. But baby, 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 it is time for Jim Leland, the man of the hour, to join the show. I have been waiting ever since I got the opportunity. I mean, I've been waiting ever since I knew. I mean, you never dream of the ability to talk to any MLB manager, let alone one of the greatest MLB managers of all time. So it is time for Jim Leland, everyone, thank you for joining me. Ethan, thank you for joining me. Take us out, baby. Thank you, Ladies and gentlemen, coming up next, make sure to stay tuned. Manager Jim Leland joins the show. It's a great podcast, and we will see you after the break. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready. All right, ladies and gentlemen, another amazing interview. Probably going to be one of my favorites of all time. Jim Leland, 1990, 1992, and 2006, manager of the year. It gets, it gets more. There's more. Managed the then Florida Marlins to their first ever World Series title in 1997. Managed Team USA to the World Baseball Classic title in 2017. Accumulated a win total of 1,769 wins, ranking him 17th all-time. Future Hall of Famer, that's for sure, has joined us on the show. Mr. Leland, I want to thank you again so much for giving us this opportunity. I met you down at the Mudhead Stadium, and you're just so humble, and I, we appreciate this opportunity. Oh, not a problem. Glad to be on with you guys. I hope you're doing well. Yes, we are. We're doing very well, and uh, we'll, get, we'll get right down to it. First question I got for you. Throughout your very prolonged career, filled with extreme amounts of success, including, like I just stated, multiple pennants, World Series title, World Baseball Classic title, just to name a few. What, uh, how have you and were you able to maintain that humble perspective about not only the game, but also giving back to people like me and Ethan with your knowledge of the game? Well, I think number one, you, you, you know, you have a respect for the game and you appreciate the game and you appreciate the people who have been in it and have been in it for years and will be in it in the future. And you just appreciate young people like yourself that are trying to get started in the game and you know that somewhere along the line, somebody, you know, gave me a break and you just hope that maybe, uh, you know, by what we're doing here today, maybe can help you, you know, uh, start your career and uh, do some wonderful things in baseball. And like I said, it's it's all about the players and, and that's the way it'll always be. And I never forgot that. Of course, that's a great mentality. 
Yes, it is. So Jacob mentioned in the last question about your World Series championship. So in 1997, you managed the Florida Marlins and promptly led them to the franchise first World Series championship that year, defending the Cleveland Indians four games to three in that fall classic. So the Marlins, that was their fifth year of existence, and they became the fastest expansion franchise to win a World Series. Now, not everyone gets to hold the title of a World Series champion. Walk me through the season. What what was your mindset, and how was it to just, you know, take in all the glory after that last game? Well, you know, obviously that's the, you know, that's the epitome of the of the sport. You know, to 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 capture a World Series title, which we were fortunate enough to do. I thought we, Wayne Isinga and Dave Bambrosi went out, and got some players in the off season, and made some good signs. And you know, we put that team together. We picked up a guy, uh, Darren Dalton. Uh, later on in the season, it helped us get over the hump. And then we played a really good Cleveland team, a terrific offensive team. We felt like maybe we could do okay against their pitching, but we, we you know, we knew we were going to have a tough time stopping them. It was a great offense. And, you know, we were fortunate because game seven actually was three to two in 11 innings. So it was actually uh, really outstanding pitching on, on both teams' part. But, you know, that's the excitement of it, and that's what you're in it for, to get that shot at it. And had a couple of shots with the Tigers when we won the American League pennant, but we lost in the World Series. So to have that one under my belt, you know, was uh, pretty satisfying. Of course. Fun facts. My parents were actually season ticket holders to the Florida Marlins when they were in uh, Dolphin Stadium, I believe. They were playing in Dolphin Stadium, right, Mr. Wheelan? We played at Pro Player Stadium, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fun. Uh, going into that year, were the expect expectations is that always the expectation of we're shooting for the world series did you guys have that potential already set in your mind going into that year yeah you know it's kind of scary really because i think in spring training that year we we were like 25 and 6 in spring training oh, man. and it was scary because you know we just couldn't lose a game in spring training i mean you you know you play your regulars and then you get them out of there and you bring in some kids from a ball or double a and he did a home run to win the game and so we put a lot of pressure on ourselves because of the great spring we had, but we carried it all the way through. And, you know, in, in our sport, you, it's like anything else. You always want expectations because if you have great expectations, that means you probably got a pretty good team. So I'd much rather go into spring training with, you know, a lot of expectations than saying, well, you know, we're rebuilding and we're not good enough yet. You know, we're going to just keep trying to get better, which we did in Pittsburgh. We did that in Pittsburgh and pulled it off, but, you know, you, you, every, anytime you go into spring training with great expectations, that means you got a good team. Of course, of course. And dating, uh, going back to the beginning of your career when you first made your way into the system as a backup catcher, was there a mindset that kind of set towards a bout as an MLB manager? Or was that an opportunity that came along later in your career? If so, is maintaining that one day at a time, you know, whatever comes, take it and run with it, is that mentality a great perspective to take on in the industry? Well, actually, you know, I was pretty, I was actually pretty smart in the sense that, and I don't mean that the wrong way, but I mean, in a sense that I knew right away early in my career after I signed with the Tigers uh, in the fall of 1963, after I got into pro ball, went to spring training, it didn't take me long to realize that, Hey, I'm not going to make it as a player, <laughs> but you know, one of the managers, uh, a ball managers always took me. Eventually, the AA manager took me, and they kind of started giving me some responsibilities. They knew I wasn't going to be a major league player, but they started start giving me some responsibilities. And, uh, you know, eventually, uh, one of our, unfortunately, one of our minor league managers got sick, and they asked me if I thought 
that I was ready to manage a, a rookie league team. And I said, well, I, I really don't know the answer to that, but I, you know, I'd like to give it a try. So that's when it all started in 1971 in Bristol. And then of course the rest is history. Of course. Yes, of course. So while being a manager, you were able in 2016 to manage team USA. Um, 27 for the 2017 world baseball classic yes. the united states won the 2017 tournament under your leadership making you the only manager to win a world series and a um team usa um olympic gold what was it gold medalist right no right world, world baseball classic yeah world baseball classic uh but how hard was it and was it hard for you to transform from that mlb manager to the world baseball classic manager and what was the difference you know working with these players because you're so set with working with your team and then you get all these new guys in. Is it a different mindset that you go into with these games? How is it? Well, it's actually a little scary because you're dealing with other teams' players and they're really not in the spring training very long and, you, and, you know, you're asking them to amp up a little bit earlier than they normally would and you're dealing with, in most cases, a lot of people's really good players. You know, that's why you wanted them on, on the World Baseball Classic team. So it's, it's a lot of pressure. It's, it's, it's fun pressure, but it's a lot of pressure in the sense that, you know, you don't want to overdo with some player from another team and, and they lose a player from a season or something of that nature. So you got to be really careful. There are some strict re, uh, restrictions with the pitching count and everything. We never even got close to those. To those we got them out of there before they even got close to those so we watched it very carefully and i'll tell you what in about a, a two-week period i never saw a group of guys come to come come together like that team did it was just unbelievable we had the right guys and uh you know we didn't have all the household names but we had you know guys that wanted to be there and 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 uh they really took it seriously and you know we became a family in two weeks and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life so um you know, very fortunate, but once again, uh, it's about the players. Those guys just performed, and they were bound and determined they were not going to be denied. I had a good feeling about it after two or three days of workouts with them and being around them. I had a good feeling that we were going to do well. I didn't know that we'd win it, but I, I had a good feeling that we were, we were going to do well. Well, to add on to that, you said you, you was the best, one of the best experiences of your life. What kind of pride did you take on being the manager kind of taking the helm of the team, knowing that you kind of had that in your hands, what kind of pride did you have leading Team USA to that title? Well, I think, you know, I think it's different. You know, the comparison is different because you're, you know, you're one team uh, during your regular season all year long. You know, you got your, your same guys and they've all been on the same team pretty much. And, and you know, you're, you're managing the Detroit Tigers or Marlins, whoever it is. But in this case, you're, you're managing the United States of america mm -hmm. and when you got that usa on your chest that that makes it just a little bit different to be honest with you you know it's a, it's just something you take great pride in and you know how good uh, puerto rico and the dominican yes. and japan and venezuela those teams are so you take great pride in it. and i think like i say when you put on that jersey with the tigers that's it's a very special jersey and when you put on a jersey with you know, usa across the front it, it's a real special jersey so it's a little bit different uh you know, it, it, it's a little bit different than managing during a regular season team, but it's uh, it was very rewarding. Well, I, I want to ask you one more question about the World Baseball Classic, and probably one of the more defining moments about the Classic is Adam Jones, you know, the, that robbing home run of uh, Manny Machado. And I want to ask you about that. What was what was that experience like in the moment? How did how did that feel? I mean, it, you saw 
we saw it from the television perspective and the stadium was rocking, but what was it like from the dugout? Well, you know, the, the great part about it is it's two, it was two great players, Manny Machado, a great player, Adam Jones, a great player. And, you know, Manny Machado did his job. He hit that ball right on a button. It was, a, it was definitely a home run. And Adam Jones, who was a great center fielder, just made one of the probably one of the greatest catches of his career. I'm sure he made many of them, but mm-hmm. that was certainly had to rank up there, I would think. So I think that turned it around. That that turned everything around because the Dominican had beat us in the first game. So uh, we had to win that game, obviously. And I think when Adam made that catch, I think it was pretty much all over. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. And uh, going back to, I guess, the baseball mentality. For those listening out there, baseball is not easy. And the best in the sport only succeed 30% of the time. Um, Especially in your career, there's a known assumption of adversity. You're not going to succeed 100% of the time. And during the most successful stretches of your career, especially during the tough stretches, what was that one idea or concept that you pushed not only in your mind, but to your players that kept them in a fighting spirit? Well, my thought process was that it was, it was always a, you know, the old expression, you know, it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. You got to remember that. I never put pressure on my guys to get off to a good start because I thought, you know, what if you don't get off to a good start? You know, you could lose your team. They could be down. You could lose your team. So I just, I, I never took that attitude. I took it the attitude that we take each game and we play each game. Yesterday's is history. And tomorrow's we're not, we haven't played yet. We can't play it. So we take today's game and we play that game to the best of our ability. And however it turns out, we turn the page. But the one thing that I always emphasize to my teams is that there's no shortcut to championships. You can't, you can't let up. You got to grind it out on a daily basis and there's no shortcuts. If you want to be standing at the end, you can't take any shortcuts. Of course. I totally agree with that. And that's, it's hard. <laughs> like Jacob said, baseball just even if you're in the front office or if you're a player, if you are in the baseball industry, it is tough and it is a grind. It's, and, you know, for people to come out on top for like, again, for a world series championship, that's way bigger than a lot of people realize. Cause that's 162 games plus spring training, plus more that you put into just that one season. So the last question I have for you, um, we asked all our guests this question, it's more of a personal question. So throughout everyone's professional career, they go through failures and setbacks. What is one failure or setback that stands out to you in your professional career that you used to better yourself? Well, I don't know if it was a failure, but I think there were two things that bothered me. I, I you know, the, the, the fact that we didn't win a world series in Pittsburgh and Detroit, you know, will always be something that I'll, you know, feel bad about. I, I don't, you know, I didn't feel bad about our efforts or my efforts. We gave everything we had, but that was probably two of the most disappointing things. You know, we got closer in Detroit than we did in Pittsburgh, but, uh, you know, those two things are, are things that, you know, I look back on once in a while and you, you know, you're kind of wishing and hoping that you could have, could have won the world series in Pittsburgh and Detroit, but you know, we, we did very well. We just didn't quite, you know, get that, that, that final piece like we did in Florida. So, you know, I experienced both of it. I was in three world series, I lost two of them and won one of them. So I know the feeling on both sides of it. Oh, of course. And the last question on, on my, on my side is kind of a professional like a professional opinion of yours obviously in today's day and age and you experience it yourself it is a very fast moving industry and it's kept and picked up the pace as the years have gone on so from your personal perspective what kind of advice do you have for people like me and ethan 
looking to make a mark on the baseball industry, not just the baseball industry, just any business industry? What's that one piece of advice you give to us? My best piece of advice to be would be to show people what you know. Don't tell people what you know. <laughs> Plain and simple. Keeping it simple. All right. All right. <laughs> that's. I, I mean, that doesn't get much simpler than that. Um, but before we let you go, if you have a little bit of time left in your hands, we have a nice little fun segment for you where we're going to throw a couple of fun questions and you're just going to answer questions about, you know, personal opinions. Do you mind if you join us for that? Go ahead. All right. All right. So as, long Ethan, not, as long as they're not political questions. No, oh, no, no, no. no. All baseball like around here. Oh, no. Oh, no. Okay. Ethan, what time is okay. it? I'll tell you what time it is. Mr. Leland and Jacob, it is time for the pickle. Pickle! It is time for the pickle. You've got 10 fun questions, non-political questions for you. You take as much time as you need. And uh, whenever you're ready, we'll get down to it. I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Number one. What was your most memorable managerial moment? I would say winning a division title uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates when we won our first uh, first division title in St. Louis in 1990. All right. All right. Okay, very memorable. Um, number two, what is your favorite ballpark? Favorite ballpark is... PNC Park today is in PL, although I did not manage it. My favorite, I think the most beautiful ballpark in today's game is PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Very PNC nice ballpark. So it's, yes. de- so it's definitely worth a trip out there. Uh, it's great. All right. Number three, who is the favorite? This might be tough. Who is your favorite player you managed as a manager? Well, my favorite pitcher was Bob Walk, uh, who I had in Pittsburgh, and probably my favorite player of all time was Placido Blanco. Okay. Okay. All right. Um, number four, favorite title you have achieved? Obviously, the World Series, World 1997. But, but but a memorable one was 1990 with the Pirates because we came a long way. To, we were, you know, we got beat up by the Mets a lot for three or four years. We finally caught them and passed them. But, yeah, the World Series is all the, you know, that's the highlight. Of course, as it should be. Number five, in your opinion, Greatest of all time MLE player to ever step foot on a diamond, in your opinion? Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds. Okay. Very good answer. Now, who do you think is the greatest of all time MLB team or dynasty? Oh, boy. I know that's a hard <laughs> uh, one. Tough one. Yeah, probably. Uh, I, I would say either the Yankees, Joe Torrey's run with the Yankees, or the Big Red Machine. Big Red Machine, of course. That's the favorite around here. Number seven, what was your favorite player growing up? Yogi Berra. Yogi Berra. That's a good name right there. What was your favorite team growing up? Cleveland Indians. Cleveland Indians. The right. team you beat in the 97 World Series. Oh, Take yeah. Back to them. <laughs> That's right. And I was an Ohio boy growing up, so Cleveland was my favorite team. All right. Number nine. What was what is your favorite ballpark snack? What's that go to? My favorite ballpark what? Ballpark snack. Oh, I'm a hot dog guy. 
hot dog guy. All of them, you'll love them. The hot, dog, hot, hot dog or bratwurst. Bratwurst, probably. If they oh, have it, but some part you're, from, you're from the Toledo area, right? Right. Tony Packers. Uh, you got to love – oh, of course. You got to love Packers. Yeah. Question okay. for you. It seems to fool some. Uh, it doesn't seem to fool others. We've asked all our guests in season three of this 10th pickle question. Do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? Is what? Do you think a hot dog is a sandwich? Mm, no, I don't think so. <laughs> hot dog's a hot dog, right? right a hot point. dog is a hot dog. Right to the point. Oh, hot dog's a hot dog. We, we asked that question. I mean, a lot of people, I guess, seem confused by it, but a lot, everyone's grown up in different households, but a hot dog's a hot dog. Like I've always said, if I ever told my parents a hot dog's a sandwich, I'd, I'd end up on the streets. So great, great answer, Mr. Leland. Okay. All right. And uh, that will take us to the end of our pickle and the end of our show. Mr. Leland, before we go, I want to thank you again. You have been extremely kind, more kind than you had to be. I, I, I took a chance introducing myself and we were able to get you on the podcast and I had a great time. Hopefully you had a great time as well. And maybe we can have you back on later on. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys having me on. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yes, thank you again, Mr. Leland. Designated Chatter fans out there, make sure to listen to all of our podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, and Radio Public. Also, make sure to follow us all on social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, all at Designated Chatter. Another great guest today, Jim Leland. Uh, thank you again. And until next time, stay safe, everyone, and we will see you back on the show. Lovely eyes.